Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Marian Nulevant here in Portland, Oregon. And today we have on Jeremy Keith from ClearLeft. How are you doing, Jeremy? I am very well. Thank you, Andrew. And we are talking about service workers. So, Jeremy, if you were out in the Scottish Highlands, shearing sheep, and someone came up to you and said, what, Jeremy, what is a service worker? Like, what would be your one or two sentence, sentence answer to that? Okay. I actually find it pretty hard to explain what, what service workers are. It's tricky. Um, in some ways, I, I, I've said this before, it's like they're like, it's like a cookie. Like when you visit a website, that website puts a cookie in your browser and that's now installed in your browser. But a cookie is just a very simple piece of text. Well, but a service worker is a file that also gets installed in your browser. But instead of it just being a simple piece of text, it's a JavaScript file mm -hmm. that can execute instructions. So what happens then is once that's installed, it's, it kind of acts like a proxy. So every time from then on, when you try and access anything from that website, from that domain, um, every request goes through this file, this JavaScript file first. So yeah, it's kind of like a proxy server in that way that sits in your machine. I mean, from that description, it, it sounds like a, a virus, right? It's like yeah. these things <laughs> installed in your machine. And it, and it sort of is, but it's a good virus. It's, the, it's a virus that, you know, your website installs and can intercept requests only for your website. Um, so, yeah, it's like a cookie. It's like a virus. It's like you're doing a man-in-the-middle attack on your own web, website. Um, and, yeah, this it's a proxy thing. So... From then on, the person with this file installed on their on their browser, when they try and request something from your site, it checks with the service worker script. And that script might say something like, yeah, go ahead, fetch the file. Or might say, oh, no, for this particular kind of file, I want you to look to see if we've got a cached version and don't even go out to the network. Or you can have say things like, oh, well, try to get it from the network or try to get it from the cache. But if, if those fail, then here's an offline page that we've cached and show this instead. So it's kind of up to you what you do with the, the power of a service worker. But essentially, it's a file that gets installed on a user's machine. And then from then on, every, every request for your site is rooted through that file. Yeah, it's kind of like if you have a website and you, you can think of the, uh, the data connection as an open, uh, an open spigot. Uh, installing a service worker is kind of like putting a diverter valve in it, right? Like everything yeah. flows through it. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's eavesdropping on, on every connection uh, or every request and and can make a decision and say, no, actually, don't, don't do the usual thing here. Do something a bit different. So it's incredibly powerful. I mean, I remember when I was first looking at service workers, I'm like, are you serious? Like, if I wanted yeah. to, I could write a service worker that in every request, it diverted it or it returned nothing or, you know, I could do pretty much anything. I mean, the the way service workers work is that there are certain events that you listen to and you can do various things based on them. And one of them is a, is a get or something or a fetch. I'm a sorry. Fetch, yeah. And 
you can do it like they can be fetching a certain uh, URL and you can return anything, right? Yeah. So the user requests one thing and you can return another thing instead because of the service worker. That's why it's so important that um, it has the site doing this has to be running on HTTPS. Right. Otherwise, it would be possible to spoof a different domain, right? If you connect it on the open Wi-Fi and if it was possible for a HTTP site to install a service worker script, then, you know, fake site could install a service worker for your domain and that would be a, a big mess. So that that's why it's HTTPS only. And in addition to that, it will only, only, only ever run on your website's domain, right? That's right. It's only requests originating from your domain or requests for your domain. Yeah. Right, right. So and when you take those two things so, into consideration, it sounds a little less scary. Go ahead, Mary. So requests that originate from your domain, but go to some other domain, it will handle those too? Potentially. So let's say I load up a web page on your domain, and in that web page, there's images uh, on a CDN or images on another site in, inside of image elements. Um, mm -hmm. those, those would get intercepted by the service worker. Yeah, anything originating from your domain. Um, so this sounds kind of scary but i think some people listening to it and we'll get into some of the uh you know potential evil applications or that type of thing later on um but for people listening you know it may sound interesting but what, what the heck would i want something like this for like how is this useful that i'm able to replace such a fundamental layer of the browser technology well like you put you the entire server there in the, on the front end you could do, you if you wanted. There's layers, basically, to what you could do. I mean, at the simplest level, you could just have something that, like I said, does what it would normally do, right? You fetch a page, get the page. You fetch an image, get the image. But if that fails for some reason, you can have a backup plan to say, oh, here's you're offline, right? And you can show a custom offline page. And so it's a little bit better than showing the default browser offline message because you can brand it, right? You can, it can be kind of like when you have a custom 404 page. Um, you could now have a custom offline page. So that's at the simplest level. Right. Um, also, at a very simple level, you can just be caching the kind of stuff you would want to cache anyway. So you're probably already trying to cache your style sheets and your scripts and your icons um, on this, you know, using the regular cache. And now with a service work, you can, you can explicitly say, hey, if it's a request for CSS or JavaScript, definitely look in the cache first before going out to the network. Right, because so the, browser, very... the browser cache is it's it's kind of asking for it, but it's up to the browser. It may or may not cache it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like in in the terms of priority, it'll be one of the first things to get you know cleaned out. Right. Whereas the with Service Worker, you get to make your own caches, very similar to the regular browser cache, but they've got a bit more higher priority. So as with the regular browser cache, you're kind of hoping, yeah, you're kind of asking, hey, I I really like it if you'd cache this style sheet. But with a service worker, it's like, okay, I'm making a cache. Here's what it's called. And I'm definitely putting this file in here now and to be retrieved later. Um, it's more like you're telling the browser. Now, the browser could still clean up um, when space gets um, to a premium, but it will clean up the regular browser cache first before it tries to clean up any, any custom-made caches. So, so those kind of things, custom offline page and caching your assets like you would anyway, that's, the, that's kind of the lowest level of what you can do to a service worker. Um, and even doing that, is, you're going to get some good performance boosts and yeah, a little bit of branding help. Once you've done that, you can kick it up a notch and maybe do a bit more. So, okay, so let's say you're thinking about the fact that maybe someone will lose their internet connection 
Mm-hmm. So while they're browsing around your website and visiting different pages, you could, using your service worker, say, okay, fetch that page from the network. But then, as well as showing it to the user, put it into this cache over here, right? A cache of pages. And you're not going to use that by default. You're going to go to the network by default. But when, when the user is offline, on your custom offline page, you could say, oh, sorry, you're offline. But hey, here are all these pages you've been visiting if you want to revisit any of them because you've cached them all now and you know that they're, they're stored in the cache. So that's kind of nice, right? You can give the user something to do when they're offline. Yeah, instead but, of seeing the, the dreaded uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex right. <laughs> with, from Chrome where there is no internet connection, when yeah. they hit I mean, the back or, button, or, your page will load. Right? You, could give, you could give your own game, right? I mean, playing a game is a nice way to pass the time. So, for example, Travago... Is a uses service workers, and if you're offline when you're trying to use it, it gives you this like maze game. And the Guardian had an offline crossword puzzle that you could fill in <laughs> if you tried to get to an article that wasn't cached, right? So it's it's completely up to you what you do in that situation. And then you can go further into this, like thinking through the. I mean, it's really user experience questions here, right? What what do you want the user experience to be of of being offline? So again, to when the user is browsing around your site, maybe you have an explicit control on the page that says save for offline, like you would with um, Pocket or, or Instapaper or any of these kind of services. And then when they're offline, you can say, here are not just the pages you visited, but here are the pages you asked for to be saved for offline. Yeah. Um, so you can, you can go out. And then in the extreme case, uh, maybe you know it's a more app-like thing that once the whole thing is loaded, doesn't even need an internet connection. So like, maybe there's a, a game in the browser or or an app that's entirely self-contained, you could decide once once I've got that in the cache, um, I'm never going to the network again, right? I'm just going to instantly serve it from the cache. And you've got this this thing that works no matter what the internet connection is. Yeah, um, I, I but, kind of look at all of this stuff as, you know, we, we have, okay, okay and I, I've, I've read some of your writings over the years, and it's pretty amazing how JavaScript has gone from being just this little toy language uh, to being something that people are writing full-fledged apps with, right? I mean, whether they're web apps or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, partly that's JavaScript, the language, but a lot of that is the APIs that the browsers now expose oh, yeah, yeah. through JavaScript. Yeah, that, Absolutely. Um, but I guess the point is that a web page these days really is, uh, to some extent, competing with a native app. Um, but one of the uh, Achilles heels has always been, well, you have to have an internet connection, Right. A lot of native apps uh, can work without any kind of internet connection at all. They're these self-contained things um, that are designed to work with or without an internet connection. Uh, but what service workers allow us to do is write an appish thing as a web page, and we can kind of do the same thing, right? Yeah, I mean, you you could start from scratch and do that, like design something that's out of the box attempting to compete with native apps and, and you're building it from scratch in that way. Or you can take an existing site that's been online for years and layer the service worker on top and just say, okay, right. I'm going to make it that bit more, you know, resilient, I guess, and to, to, to working offline. So it doesn't have to be that service workers are just for making app-like experiences. Right. They can be used for the performance boost or just for that extra bit of, of uh, resilience. Yeah, and I've had a, a number of clients that I've talked to that have had some pretty interesting use cases where a service worker wasn't just nice to have, um, but it was actually pretty awesome. 
Um, so one client that I was in discussions with, they sent healthcare workers to uh, Native American uh, reservations, right, where they were in uh, tended to be in remote places where the internet connections were were awful, and they had designed a whole set of um, healthcare tips and and that type of thing that they really wanted to be able to access and then use when they were on site. Perfect case for a service worker where as soon as they load up the web page, you can pre-cache the pages that you want to make sure are always available, and then they can lose their internet signal and it's all still going to work. You know? Yeah, and you could even potentially make you know, interactive things that continue to work. Cause right. You've got service, you've also got things like... Um, offline storage right or sorry um, local storage yep. and um index db and so you could be still storing stuff on that device even though um the user's offline and then when you do get a connection you know send that off to the server or there's there's another technology it's not very well supported but it's getting better and better called background sync where mm. you do that right you're storing everything locally uh but in order to sync up with the server when there's an internet connection the browser doesn't even need to be open right you just have to next time you're you get a signal, the user doesn't even have to open up and go to that URL and hit send. It all happens in the background, which is extremely powerful. And, and the reason I find that so compelling is that, you know, I think about the how people are using the web these days. And the average site, more than 50% is going to be mobile traffic, and it just keeps going up and up. And people are using their mobile devices in all sorts of real-world situations. They may be getting into a cab. They may be jumping into the tube. They may be doing this, that, and the other thing where their internet connection is going to be variable, right? Whereas if, you know, in the past, people were browsing on their desktop machines and unless they had a service outage, it was pretty constant. Um, But really, the connection has become highly variable depending on where they are. And if you have an online store where someone has browsed something, they put it in their cart and they've hit purchase, you don't want to lose that sale by having it just say, you know, no internet connection, right? You want to do what you're talking about where you save all that data and when there actually is an internet connection again, it will transparently just send it send it off to the endpoint, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the network layers is definitely one of the, the fragile parts of of using the web. So yeah, service workers access a nice little kind of a filler for spackling over the, uh, the rocky bits. Yeah, um, and, and that's the funny thing is that if web developers who've been around for a long time really take for granted the idea that the internet connection is a constant, right? But what has happened with uh, the proliferation of mobile devices is that the uh, internet connection has not only become highly variable, but it also may just disappear, right? Yeah, the funny thing is, that in some ways, it's easier to deal with the situation where there's just no internet connection. Because right. the service worker can just like test, oh, try and fetch this from the network, and then is instantly told it's not working, there's no internet connection. And so you can instantly serve something up from the cache. Um, the trickier situation is what, what Jake Archibald calls Li-Fi, which is where it looks like you've got a signal, but actually it's just a really, really bad signal. Right. And so technically, it's still trying and trying and trying to go to the network. Um, it takes a bit more finesse then to write the service worker script to kind of like have a timer and see like, is this taking too long? And if it's taking too long, just try and go to the cache or, you know, do something different. 
Um, yeah, so it's the it's, you're right. It's the spotty connection that's actually the the trickier one to design for. Just being like on an airplane with no internet connection, that's actually relatively easy to to think about the use case. Right. But going in and out of a connection, that's that's the really frustrating one. Yeah, and I think that's just a, and I'm probably reiterating myself, but I'm doing it because I, I think it's important. I think there are a lot of web developers that. They sit down to write their HTML, JavaScript, Vue, React, you know, whatever it is they're writing. And the idea of a spotty or variable internet connection doesn't even enter their minds, you know. Um, and this is a, a place where service workers can make a huge, huge difference, you know. Yes, although it should be, I mean, if it's the first time a user is visiting a site, whether there's a service worker or not doesn't make any difference. Right. Because... Nothing's been installed yet, right? So you don't you don't get a get out of jail free card for that initial page load, right? You still got to make sure that's as 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 lean as possible. And uh, but you're right. I think a lot of web developers are bundling so much into the initial download because they're basically putting a whole app into you know megabytes of JavaScript and assuming that the internet connection is good enough to download that. Um, that yeah, you you really got to make sure that first first connection is is, uh, is as quick as possible and you just send down the bare minimum yep. um, which is usually you know some HTML uh, maybe some CSS but the, sending down megabytes of JavaScript, sending down an entire JavaScript library and then your JavaScript written in that library um, that's that's kind of asking for trouble on a, on a flaky network oh yeah I mean you're, you're preaching to the choir I mean I, I've been kind of on the the web performance bandwagon for forever Um Using things like critical CSS, uh, async loading JavaScript, making sure that the what you're delivering uh, is actually as small as it can be. Whether you're using yeah. uh, for JavaScript, you know, tree shaking, or for CSS, if you're using a tool like Purge CSS. Um, but the thing I, I really, you know, you out there, you the royal you who are listening to this right now, when you're sitting down to work on something. Look at your Google Analytics and look at the fact that for the average site, more than 50% is going to be on a mobile connection. And then think about the different scenarios where people are going to be using your site. Um, and this is where service workers really enter the conversation uh, in terms of helping to make that experience a, a little bit smoother. Um, so I think it's fantastic that we have you on here to talk about this because you wrote, a, you wrote the book. Right, I have written a book. Yes, all about service workers. It's called Going Offline, which sounds oh. kind of like a self-help book, like uh, you know, unplug from the internet, <laughs> go offline, how to switch off your brain. Right, uh, but no, it's basically service workers for web designers. Right, yeah, and and I was reading the forward in your book. Um, <laughs> it was hilarious that you managed to compare service workers to a virus, a toolbox, and a duck-billed platypus all within the, the span of a few sentences. You care to explain yourself, Jeremy? Well, look, I just want to make it fairly lighthearted, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I'm trying to... There, so there's some fairly complex um, concepts involved with service workers. Before you can get down to writing your first service worker, you've got to get your head around what a service worker is, and that involves understanding asynchronous behavior. Right. And suddenly you're talking about promises. I say, what, what's promise? Maybe you haven't come across that yet. Right. So I was aware I wanted to explain all the steps involved and I, I didn't want it to be like a, a, a boring manual. So I tried to make it fun to read as well. Yeah. Um, 
and also uh, audience wise i wanted to make sure it wasn't assuming well anything really um there's plenty of service worker resources out there but they're generally aimed at a developer who already knows javascript right and is comfortable with certain concepts in javascript certain apis and and ways of of, of writing javascript and i didn't want to assume any of that i was assuming that you know maybe you, you know some HTML, maybe some CSS, but that's about it. And could I write for someone in that position? And it was tricky, I will admit. Right. Um, and part of the reason for inserting you know, a certain amount of levity was that, well, suppose you do understand JavaScript, you do understand all this stuff. Rather than it be boring to wade through an explanation of something you already understand, maybe there's an amusing you know, way of describing it. So it's like, it's kind of fun to read, even if you already know this stuff, yeah, is I, my hope. That's, I, that's I, the idea. I 100% agree with you. I mean, that's something that I, I try to do with this podcast. I probably fail <laughs> very often, but I try to make it fun or I try to make it at least somewhat entertaining to listen to because a lot of these tech topics that we cover, um, I mean, it's a, a lot of the podcasts I listen to or articles that I read, they're super dry super boring to read. And I think you can communicate information without being so boring, you know, and I think you did a, a fantastic job with it uh, in the book here. Uh, but Marion, did you I've have been, something? I've been thinking a lot about, you know, writing styles and stuff. I was reading, been reading, get very meta, reading books about writing. Right. You know, um, I'm trying to be, be conscious of that as um, Steven Pinker's book, uh, A Sense of Style is, is really good at breaking down, you know, what, what, what makes for hard to read writing. And there's a book by Anne Lamott called Bird by Bird. Oh, that's um, fabulous. Yes. So what I was saying was that I found that when I'm writing blogs uh, or I'm writing, uh, you know, articles, which it's not nearly as intensive as writing a whole book, but I find that I understand the problem a whole lot more uh, than I would had I not done that. Have you oh, kind of yeah, encountered no, that? No better way to understand anything than to explain it to somebody else. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. So why don't we talk about some use cases where using a service worker makes a whole lot of sense. I think that, uh, so I'll tell you what I do, first of all, uh, and this is probably somewhat unnecessary because it's not my, like my blog is selling anything or is any kind of high traffic site or anything. Uh, but the NY Studio 107 uh, blog, the first thing that it does is it pre-caches um, a number of pages, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a, uh, what it essentially does is it finds the most recent, uh, I think it's nine blog entries and it pre-caches them, yeah. right? So you load any page on the site and as you it doesn't block, it doesn't, uh, interfere with you using the site, but it kicks off requests to those nine most recent blogs and then if you go offline for whatever reason, you'll never notice a difference. Like you'll be able to just tap on those blogs, they'll load, everything will just work. Um, and yeah, I also, that makes a lot of sense for, you know, for, for content that's timely, right? Because right. probably 80 to 90% of the use case is somewhere in those first by far. Yeah. And blog posts. Yeah. Yeah. By far, whatever is the recent content is what people are, uh, primarily hitting. Um, yeah. And so it works really well from that point of view. So it, it takes care of the problem of um, them not being able to do anything at all if they're offline. Um, yeah. And then I also have a, so that's the pre-caching part of it. Um, then I also have a part of the service worker that if it goes to fetch an image and the image is offline, 
you know, maybe it can't reach the CDN or they've lost their inter- internet connection. Uh, instead of displaying like a broken image, what it displays is a little inline SVG that says offline. Yep. yep. Right. Uh, which is kind of neat. Um, and then the, the third thing that it does is that any of the pages that you visit, it will store them in the cache so that the, the images and other resources that are needed for that page for rendering in your browser um, will then be cached locally so that if you lose your internet connection, you can then browse the site. Now, it's not perfect. Um, someone could theoretically you know, access some part of the site and it just wouldn't do anything. Um, but it at least somewhat works, you know? <laughs> yeah, what I love about you know, all these kind of ideas and recipes um, are all of them are enhancements. Like you, you haven't made your site rely on service workers. Mm-hmm. Your, your site still works in the same... If a, if a browser visits that doesn't even support service workers, your site still works. Right. And it works the same as it did before. And every, everything you've described about pre-caching some pages or storing pages as people browse around, that's it's all kind of you know icing on the cake. It's like, right. okay, I'm going to reward the browsers that do support service workers with this better user experience, but everyone still has access to the content um, the same way they did before. And then as the browser support gets better and better, these browsers suddenly start getting the icing on the cake where previously they didn't, right? And you didn't have to do anything. Right. You, you just added it. So just philosophically, I love the way that service workers kind of have to be used as an enhancement. They have to be layered on top. You can't, again, because the first time any browser visits, uh, regardless of their support for service workers, there is no service worker. So right. you you can't make something rely on a service worker. Uh, and I really like that. I think that's a very good um, d- bit of design. And I also, think it, I also think it's really good for adoption of a technology. If, if a technology works in that way, where it's like it's a really neat bonus on top of what you would do anyway, then you're kind of incentivized to use it, use that technology, even if even if only one browser supported it, it would still be worthwhile doing it. Absolutely. Um, in the knowledge that you know more and more browsers will support it in the end. So yeah, those are classic examples of this like taking an existing site and making it that bit better using service workers. And that's that's the model I favor is to look at an existing site, look at the uh, typical user behavior and then think, all right, what's the right kind of recipe for this particular site? And yeah, you're right. I mean, I think the right way to view service workers is that they're just another progressive enhancement, right? Where yeah, I mean, that's the way they've been designed. Yeah. Yeah. If, if your browser doesn't support it, okay. Site's going to continue to work normally. Everything's going to work just fine. But if you have a browser that supports service workers, then you're going to get this enhanced kind of experience using the site. So let's talk about browser support real quick. So yes, <laughs> was that your question, Marion? What's the browser yes, support? I was like, I want to know about browser support. So I, I have Can I Use up here right now just for mm-hmm. service workers. Quite a bit of green on there. There's a lot of green on here, a lot more than there used to be. And I think, you know, one yeah, of the... When, when I was writing the book, there was a lot more red uh, than there is right. now. When I, yeah, exactly. When I originally did the... So, so uh, describe what you're seeing on Canada oh, yeah. News. What? No, no, I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to. And we're gonna, we're definitely going to. Don't worry. And we're going to link to it too. Uh, but when I when I wrote the when I implemented the service workers on my site, I think it was January 2017, something like that. Um, I was really just implementing it for Chrome, right? So I'm like, okay, well, if you're one of those 70 odd percent 
of USA people that are using Chrome, you're going to get a better experience. But for a lot of other ones, yeah, eh, too bad. It's not going to help. So today, things are looking a whole lot nicer. So Microsoft Edge, 17 and 18 fully support it. Firefox supports it. Chrome supports it, obviously. Um, Safari now supports it. Yeah, that's been the most recent one. And crucially, Safari Mobile supports it. So your iPhone will now support Service Worker, which the reason why I say crucially is it's all well and good that your desktop Chrome browser supports um, Service Workers, but really where you want the offline experience is on your mobile device, you know? Most people aren't even using their browsers, their desktop browsers, when they're computer is offline yeah yeah very very true very true they, they just kind of give up so it, the fact that safari as of 11.4 supports it is just absolutely fantastic uh, and that was released uh, on march 28th of 2018 and um, my book came out a week later <laughs> ah well there's always a great no it was, it was perfect it was like um if the book had come out sooner people were like eh, you know i'm not going to investigate the service worker thing because safari right. on ios doesn't support it right but i was able to go hey time to investigate service workers because given the news that just dropped about safari here's your manual yeah and and obviously chrome on android supports it firefox on android supports it uh even the uc browser for android supports it uh so it's like everybody but opera mini exactly. yeah yep opera mini in terms of mobile Opera Mini has no support. BlackBerry has no support. I don't know if anyone cares at this point, honestly. And then IE Mobile, which, again, I'm not sure anyone really cares anymore because that's not really a thing. So the fact that the iPhone supports it natively is pretty big. And the fact that Google Chrome for Android uh, supports it on these mobile devices is, is pretty huge, in my opinion. Yeah, and then Google Chrome and um, Samsung Internet, they go they go a little further, which is if you're using service workers and a couple of related technologies and you've got one of them fancy progressive web apps, mm-hmm. that they will, you know, alert the user to the fact that, hey, you know, this this is a quality site that you pretty much can act like an app, so want to install it in the same way you kind of install an app, except instead of going to an app store or any of that, it's just... It's like bookmarking on your home screen. Right. But from then on, when you launch it, it really does feel just like using an app, right? It can be launched in full screen. It doesn't feel like you're in the browser anymore. Um, it appears in the app switcher, just the same as other apps. So that's, that's kind of really kicking it up a notch. Yeah, which is amazing, again, from what you mentioned, where you're rewarding sites that are doing this stuff, right? Because you're- Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, kind of like it's, they're saying, this is a mark of quality. So, so for to be to qualify as a progressive web app from a technical point of view, there's all sorts of lists of what is a progressive web app, and they're they're kind of subjective because it's mm-hmm. about you know the richness of the experience, which is all well and good, but you can't measure that, right? So, um, what's being measured by the the browser on on um, Andro- on Chrome for Android and and uh, Samsung Internet is does the site have a service worker? So, yeah. for, well, first of all, is it running on HTTPS because you need that before you can even have a service worker? Is it running on HTTPS? Does it have a service worker that at least returns something when you try and request a page, right? Even if it's just a custom offline page, it doesn't check exactly what happens, just something other than um, the default browser offline page. And then finally, does it have this uh, web app manifest, which is effectively a JSON file of metadata? That's kind of the the easiest part. Right. Um, And if you have all three of those, then from a technical point of view, 
let's call that a progressive web app. And then for a while, um, Chrome was using a little bit of heuristics in there, kind of like, okay, has the user spent a certain amount of time here? Or has the user visited this URL more than once within a certain span of time? And based on all those kind of factors, it would then show kind of a pop-up saying, add to home screen. Um, they've since changed that. So now do you, the author, have to trigger that? Um, to kind of put the control back on developers to do that and to choose the right time to do it. Like, it's kind of like the whole, you know, subscribe to my newsletter or, and it's like, or share your location. Like, do not do it the first time someone visits your site, right? You wait till the users demonstrated that they're, they're sticking around. Um, and then on Samsung Internet, um, I, they're doing an approach that I think is, is more interesting. I think the Chrome team uh, want to do this as well. It's their favorite approach, which is that there's this more what they call ambient badging. That if you're if you're on a site that's a progressive web app on on Samsung Internet, there's and, and I think Opera Opera on Chrome. I don't know about on iOS was doing this as well. There is something in the browser Chrome bit in the near the in the URL bar that kind of lights up to show like this is something special. And I think the first time you visit a progress any progressive web app, it has a little bit of uh, onboarding to say, hey, when you see this thing light up, light up, it means you're at a progressive web app. It can be installed onto your home screen and launch instantly. Um, so I think that's a really interesting approach because one of the things with um, this offline behavior, it's all well and good that the technology is here now and we're looking at can I use and from a technology perspective, we're there, we've made it, we've got support across the board. But from users' expectations point of view, it's been 10 years of expecting that, of course, I can't load a web page if the internet is down, but if I don't have a connection, uh, what's the point of me even trying to visit a URL? Right. So the expectation built up over a decade is websites don't work offline. Now, technically, we fixed that. They totally can work offline. But from an expectation point of view, how do we let people know that websites can work offline? And mm -hmm. you could attempt it, right? Maybe you're offline and still try hitting that bookmark or typing that URL and it might work this time. I think that's the really hard part is changing expectations and, and battling against that inertia of, of a decade of, of built up expectations. Yeah. And I, I work with a number of digital marketers and one of the uh, kisses of death for them is the bounce rate. You know, when, as soon mm -hmm. as people are bouncing off the page, you know, we got a problem. So if we can sell them on the idea of something that, Hey, obviously if I lose my internet connection when I'm on the phone, I may or may not come back, right? I may get a notification that an Instagram, someone liked my Instagram post or posted on it. I may switch out and I may never come back if I'm just stuck there waiting for it to load or it, it says there's no internet connection or whatever. Um, but if we have a service worker installed, people never notice you know, yeah. assuming that it's pre-cached or that they've already visited the page, they never notice that the site has gone offline, so they don't leave. Now, but how does that translate from an analytics point of view? How do we how do we ping Google Analytics to let the marketers know that this person didn't leave if the site is offline? Well, I guess something like background sync could help there. If you're recording the timestamps, you could sync it up with your analytics after the fact. Um, but yeah, I don't... I care not much for uh, analytics, I must be said. But <laughs> I've, I've kind of got, yeah, I, I think analytics are creepy. 
that's that's my own personal take. Don't yeah. like them. They, but they, I'm not a marketer. They they are, and I'm totally with you. And I'm I'm behind the the GDPR. But I've got these people that are talking to yeah. me, and they're like, "Look, my my livelihood depends on this." Yeah, um, and mar- marketers want to track everything. I get it. Um, yeah. But it's interesting you mentioned the marketing people because I was talking to Jason Grigsby from Cloud Four, and he's writing a book on progressive web apps. And he was saying his kind of reaction to this term, progressive web apps, was a bit like mine. I was kind of like, really, do we need mm. do we need a term to wrap up, you know, these technologies, HTTPS, service worker, web app manifest? Um, you know, we've, we've kind of got enough jargon in our industry already. But um, Frances Berriman, who came up with the term progressive web app, she pointed out, look, it's not for us. The term is for the marketing people. Right. And Jason was saying he was at a marketing event and he really saw this, like, they they were talking about progressive web apps. They were really, really interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I think partly because um, native apps have been around long enough now that people are starting to feel all the pain points of native apps. I was in the marketing people and that, you know, it's the, the drop-off rates actually, well, first of all, just trying to get someone to install your app is really, really, really hard um, compared to visit your web page. Uh, and then trying to push out updates and you're going through this whole app store thing. There's a lot of pain points. And so you describe to them the fact that oh hey this thing can feel a lot like a, a native app but the user just has to visit your page and they've basically got it right and they're super excited and the fact that there's a term to go with this progressive web app which you know maybe as technologists we might cringe a little at the term but the marketing people are like hell yes that is that is something we can sell we can talk about you know um so i think Francis was completely correct when she said, you know, this term, it's not for us. It's for the marketing people. Right. And in some ways, I think there might be more excitement in the marketing world about progressive web apps than there is in the web development world about progressive web apps. Yeah, because they're they're about user experience and anything that keeps them on the page. And and Jeremy, I've got both good news and bad news for you. <laughs> so okay. um, Workbox is one of many uh, kind of building blocks for creating your own service worker. I just wanted, I I know you know what that is, but I just want to introduce that to uh, everyone here on the podcast that's listening. So one of the the packages that they have available is uh, SW Offline Google Analytics. There you go. So if you add that to your workbox, and again, think of workbox as a, a way to kind of pick and choose the parts of a service worker that you want and build your own. Um, if you add this to the mix, um, all you have to do is include the JavaScript and execute one line of code and everything else just works. And essentially what it does is it stores any of the events that would have sent, been sent to Google Analytics uh, in local storage. And when you come back online, it transmits that data. So that's how we can tell these marketers this is going to help with your bounce rate. Not only will it help with your real bounce rate, with people actually not leaving, but using the uh, offline Google Analytics, you can measure that too. And it's going to show up in your actual Google Analytics where they're, they're looking at the, the bounce rate. That is, that is pretty interesting. Yeah. Now, now I am curious, although I still think analytics are creepy. Um, <laughs> I've actually I've, I've got a little, I know of a technique that's, I definitely don't want to share with the marketers. Oh, God. Um, but they're not listening. Go ahead. About, they're not listening. Here's an interesting thing about about service workers. So we established right at the start that they they only work for the domain that installed them, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to first visit that URL, and then the service worker gets installed. And here's the thing: 
an iframe is effectively like a new browser window mm -hmm. or a browser tab to all intents and purposes, right? So let's say you're in control of two domains, um, site1.com and site2.com. The user visits site1.com. Okay, you can install the service worker for site1.com, but you can't install the service worker for site2.com because the user hasn't visited that yet. Unless you put an iframe, maybe it's just a one pixel by one pixel iframe somewhere on site1.com. Oh, God. That has site2.com in it. And now the service worker for site2.com can be installed also. And the user hasn't even visited site2.com. Now, this will work as long as the user in their browser preferences hasn't disabled um, third-party cookies. For, basically, works the same as cookies. You know where you can set your cookies to be accept all cookies, right, right. deny all cookies, or accept only from first party. If they're only accepting from first party, that, I believe that applies to the service worker too. But the default setting in most browsers is accept all cookies. And I believe it's the same applies to service workers. So user visits site1.com, which has an iframe containing site2.com. And now they have a service worker installed for site2.com. Theoretically, they've, they could type site2.com while they're on the airplane and they've never visited the website before. And it loads something. I don't think we're going to tell them. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> let's, let's not tell them. Let's not, not let them know about that. So let, let's assume that we've done a decent enough job of educating people on what a service worker is. Actually, you know what? Let's not assume that. Marion, have we done an, a good enough job educating people on what a service worker is? I'm starting to get the overview. I, I have a question, though. Go. Okay. About loading sites and wanting them to be as lightweight as possible and not wanting to download megabytes and megabytes of JavaScript. Mm -hmm. When you visit your site with the service worker for the first time, don't you have megabytes and megabytes of JavaScript there in the form of the service worker? No, it's pretty... Well, you could do if you want to write a really, really long service worker, but they're generally pretty small. I mean, the ones I've written um, maybe... 30 lines of code, 40 lines of code. Yeah, they're not, um, they're not big. Yeah, okay. so, to, so to write the code to say, for web pages, try going to the network first, otherwise look in this cache. Meanwhile, for images, try looking in the cache first, otherwise go out to the network. That's maybe five, six lines of code. Okay, so it's a sophisticated lot of stuff, but most of it's just they're built into the browser. Exactly. Exactly, because it's such a new API, Service Workers itself, that you get to use all the modern techniques. I mean, for one thing, if you've been wanting to investigate, you know, ES6 syntax, um, instead of having to transpile all that to, to put it in service workers, it, it'll just work because all the browsers that support service workers are modern browsers, so you can just use it. And they come, all the, the APIs are built in. So there's a cache API and a fetch API. And so you don't write that much. I mean, you do have to write the explicit instructions. You have to tell exactly what you want to happen. The resulting code is is really not that long. Unless yeah. you have a whole crossword puzzle or something. Yeah, but even then, that that's kind of sitting in the page that you're caching. Right. See, like so. Let's say you have a very complex offline page that's got a game in it. Um, ah. That page will be long because it's got all the JavaScript in it to run the game, but the service worker script will still be just thirty, forty minutes. Yeah, Marion. Essentially, the the service worker you can think of it as something that 
um, is just listening for certain events and then doing stuff based on them. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of routing requests and saying, fetch that, yeah. grab this from the cache, do all that. And then you can put the complexity into the files themselves. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it, it typically ends up not being too bad in, in terms of the, the size of the thing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Workbox, which is you know, a very useful library for doing service worker stuff. Mm -hmm. But I have to say, I mean, uh, for a lot of the use cases, it might using a library might be overkill. I agree. In that, um, learning the underlying technology, in this case, probably would take as much time as learning the library. So maybe just learn the underlying technology. Yeah, I think that, and Workbox is something that I have been wanting to get into and start using. Currently, I'm just using my own service worker that is based on uh, you know the the work of other people that I, I just have kind of modified it. I think it was. But, a, but I'm interested. Why? Why? Why do you think Workbox? What would Workbox give you? So the the things that I'm interested in checking it out for are the way that they have just kind of written their own service worker plugins for doing things like, mm. for instance, the Google an offline, uh, uh, excuse me, offline Google analytics, for instance, is yeah, something that yeah. I can just plug in and start using. And then they have another, uh, a whole bunch of other kind of libraries that you can pick and choose piecemeal when you're putting your service worker together. Uh, for instance, something that will take care of the background sync for you. And it, it, it's yeah. a whole lot of stuff that, you know, for your average site, probably it isn't necessary. Um, you know, the one that I have for my site is relatively simple. You know, it's pre-caching stuff, it's caching stuff as you load, and it's showing a nice image when you're offline, and that's all it's doing. Um, but if I was working on something much more complicated, like I wanted to have the background sync working uh, with an online store so I never lose an order, um, or I really wanted that offline analytics tracking, I don't know. It's just been on my list to investigate as something where it might be nice to be able to just pick and choose um, and have the smart people at Google write those pieces for me. Totally. You make a good point. And I've done this. What I've done with libraries in the past is maybe not necessarily use the library, but pull it apart and look and see how did they do the right. uh, offline analytics. And say, oh, that's clever. I'm going to steal that. Right, I'll take that bit. Right. Um, that's a good point. But you see, you make an interesting point here about um, you start with the vanilla code JavaScript. but then when you want to do more complex you're going to reach for a library and i think that's the perception of just getting away from service workers at all now but just you know javascript libraries or libraries in general that's the perception start with vanilla and then you get as you get to something more complex reach for a library but actually the way a lot of these libraries i think almost work best is when you start with the library it's like i don't know what i'm doing i don't have time to investigate right. how to write this myself i'm going to use the library and then as you start to get more into it, and like, I really need fine-tuned control, that that's actually when you start to move away from the library and start to get down into the vanilla stuff. Yeah. Um, so I 100% you know, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that the, the life cycle of uh, people using CSS, for example, is they start writing their own, then it, they find this framework, and they're like, oh, good, I'll just use Bootstrap or whatever. Uh, and then as they learn it, they, they realize, you know, all the junk that comes along with it that they don't need. And then they, they go full circle and they're back to writing their own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. And I've, yeah, I've seen that, that play out. Yeah. Um, but, but that is, not... that is an interesting point though, but that would be a good reason to use Workbox is like, I'm interested in the features that a service worker can give me. I don't have the time or the client doesn't have the budget for me to 
do a deep dive and, and learn everything there is to know about it, maybe I should just grab this thing and try and slap it together, you know? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the time, the reasons why libraries exist is that they're kind of filling gaps that right. maybe they're hard to do or the browser can't do them at all yet without the library. So you use a library to do that, right. that task. And then I almost feel like, well, the ultimate goal of the library should become unnecessary. I agree. Because browsers will end up landing these features. We're like, oh, you don't need to use a library for that anymore. It's native to the browser. Sort um, of like what's happening with jQuery. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, in that situation, the reason why you don't need jQuery is because of jQuery. jQuery was so <laughs> right. influential that, you know, the standards basically said, right, we're doing what jQuery does. And that's why we got Query Selector. I mean, Query Selector basically is the entire selector part of jQuery. Using CSS selectors in JavaScript, that proved itself to be popular and proved itself to be a good idea. So now, I mean, I feel these days you really don't need jQuery. Right. And what a testament to jQuery that is. Right. Right. Or I mean, that's that must feel like the ultimate victory of a library. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. A library has succeeded when it no longer is necessary, for sure. Exactly. For sure. Uh, particularly with things like polyfills. So, right. You know, something like auto prefixer, I've been removing that from more and more projects because it turns out when I look at the, the output, it's like, oh, it's actually... It doesn't need to prefix anything anymore. Right. And that's like, oh, it's great. It was I was using it as a, you know, a stopgap as a crutch for a while, and now it does not need it anymore. That must feel great for those the the people making that library. It's like, that's the victory condition. You know? Yeah, and if you use tools like Babel, you know, it's nice because you can set the mm. standard to be last two versions, right, of the browser or whatever you consider appropriate, and then naturally that stuff will fall away as the browser exactly. support gets better and better. And you don't have to do anything. Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> definitely the case when it comes to polyfills, is that it should absolutely be the purpose of a polyfill to become extinct. Yep. But, I, but think, uh, I think that also extends to libraries in general. Sure. Well, I think a great irony, though, is that <laughs> as, as frameworks like React and Vue become more and more popular as alternatives or, or a different way of doing things than using jQuery, jQuery is now in the browser. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm sure that some of the ideas we're seeing in the in these the sort of next generation of libraries like like React and Vue will end up uh, native to the browser. Like in React is the idea of the the virtual DOM and you, right. you only update the bits that have changed. I'm sure we're going to get that in, yeah. in native to the browser. Yeah, no. Fully fully agreed. So We've talked primarily about service workers intercepting requests, but they can do even more than that, right? Yeah, um, you can. So, so here's the interesting thing with service workers: they, they're kind of an evolution of a, a the existing web workers thing, which is, you know, as JavaScript that can do tasks, but the caveat is you don't get to talk to the DOM, right? And that's the case in service workers because it's like it isn't it isn't a JavaScript on a particular page. It's like this JavaScript that's happening in limbo, being executed by the browser, but not on a page, I'm not explaining it very well, but basically it's kind of a separate process. So the only downside is, well, you can't, you can't, you know, do your query selector stuff from service worker. You can't do anything that updates the web page from service worker, except there's another sort of tool within service workers that you can post messages. So now you can send a message to the web pages or the web page can send a message to service workers. Hmm. And that kind of does then give you access to the DOM because you can do something in the page that's based on something that's in the DOM and updating something and then send a message to the service worker based on that. Um, that's how you could do, for example, that pattern where 
you have an explicit toggle on the page that says save for offline, right? At the moment that the user hits that, well, that's when you send a message to the service worker saying, save this URL for offline. And then the service worker does its thing because that's what it's good at, right? Pre Pre-caching stuff like that. Um, so even though the service worker didn't have access to the DOM, you've managed to get information to it. So, so that's really handy. We've got this post message thing. Um, so, the, so service worker itself is kind of an umbrella for a bunch of APIs. Right. So there's the fetch API, the cache API, this post message API, background sync, you know, mm -hmm. uh, fewer browsers support that, but that's another example. So there's multiple APIs and a really exciting one is notifications. Right. That service worker kind of acts as the, uh, the telephone exchange when it comes to doing notifications on the web. Now, again, browser support, not great yet on this. Or, well, it's actually pretty good, but the, the elephant in the room, as usual, is iOS, right? When will it be available for Safari right. on iOS? Right. Um, and hopefully that's coming. But, yeah, so if you want do to do... notifications do? So, so just like a native... When you have a native app and it's allowed to send notifications and uh, make your life miserable... <laughs> Yes. Um, that that basically that the web. I mean, we already have it on the desktop, uh, as you've probably noticed when you visit every web page out there, and it's asking for permissions to send notifications, right? I just disabled that across the board. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. Um, this is the thing, you know. This is why we can't have nice things. We're yeah. given these really powerful tools, and then we proceed to to abuse them and use them in the worst possible ways. Yeah. Um, but effectively, yeah, to do what what native browsers do. So, in other words. The, the person's phone is powered on, but they don't have a web browser open. They might not even have, you know, the, it might just be resting on the table and up pops a notification kind of from a web page or from a website. And that's all done through service workers. Well, there's a lot of spinning plates when it comes to notifications. It looks like quite a complex thing. I haven't done it myself. I've, you know, I've been gathering resources to like, I really must do this sometime. Although I keep asking myself, but why? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like you. I just disable notifications. I mean, I think I think it's neat. Does but... the service worker phone home every so often and, and poll and say, are there any notifications? Are there any notifications? And then I know it's so it's not it's not working or... by polling. It's much it's more of a it's a push thing where like the servers, a server, you generally use some kind of service pushes to to the phone and says, hey, there's there's notification, which is, I believe how it works. Um, with native apps as well, that it's not a polling thing, um, that it's it's more that something's being pushed to the phone. To be honest, I don't know the details of how it works, but I guess the exciting thing, again, and the marketing people love this, mm. is that now we can have, or very soon we can have parity with native apps when it comes to bombarding users with notifications. Yeah, I was about to say, this is, again, something that brings us uh, as web developers on parity with native apps, right? I mean, this is yes. The the service worker is really kind of interesting to me because when you're you're first approaching it, you're like, well, okay, if this is a browser API, how come I didn't just load some kind of a special script tag on my HTML page, right? Mm -hmm. And the the big reason for that is that JavaScript, when you're running it in the browser, you have a single thread for the entire entirety of the JavaScript that is running on that page, right? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why JavaScript has gone the way of promises and everything being yes. async is because yeah. they fundamentally only have one thread 
to deal with this, in the this browser. This is where web, web workers, before service workers, they were web workers. It was exactly for this reason. So right. How can we use JavaScript in a way that doesn't block the thread? Yeah, and, and service workers, Marion, the, the way they get installed, it's almost like starting a new thread. So it actually runs in its own process space separately entirely uh, from the web page in its own thread. Um, and it's kind of funny to me, or interesting, I don't know funny, interesting that, you know, the reason it was done this way is kind of a inherent limitation in the way JavaScript is executed in browser. There's one thread, uh, and you have to jump through a whole lot of hoops to, to emulate it being async. Um, but that's one of the reasons why a lot of the modern functionality of anything that is, you know, fetching data or has a Mm-hmm. Um, a, a variable amount of time it's going to take. That's why everything is async. That's why actually yeah. doing things synchronously in JavaScript can actually be hard. And it's because of the way that it, the, the single threading model of one kind of JavaScript context to rule them all. And a service worker is, uh, is just like spawning a new thread to do something in the background. So it's kind of always sitting there in the background as a go-between between the, the browser and the network. Yeah, and so it used to be in the past because, like you said, the way that JavaScript worked, you would have to done the polling thing. It was the only right. way you could ask: is you know, is there something new? Is there something new? Is right. there something new? Uh, but these days, that's become more of an anti-pattern, and the way to write mm-hmm. it is is this asynchronous way. <laughs> it's it's always been an anti-pattern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just the only one. <laughs> exactly, it used to be the only way, and now, thank goodness, we have we have alternatives. But you know, even I, that getting I, your I head around that. that Rather than it's being another thread, I would say it's another process as being kind of a heavier weight thing than a thread and the communication, you know, not so much the not so much yeah. the shared variables and everybody overriding one another. Yeah, you're right. It is this completely separate thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, um, Andrew, you, you know, you're saying about, oh, it's one more way that we're getting parity with native apps. And mm-hmm. a lot of people do talk about service workers and progressive web apps in that way. It's like, oh, we're, we're taking on mobile. Like we're, we're going, finally going to have, <laughs> you know, we, we can do the same sort of animations as mobile. We can do right. uh, offline just like mobile. Now we can do notifications just like mobile. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's great. Um, but I also think our goal should not be to be as good as native or to emulate native because the web has things that native doesn't have and it would be a shame if we kind of missed the the the, the killer features of the web because we're so concerned with chasing after native right so so the big thing is is urls right the fact mm. that your app now if you want to call it that can be written down in a post-it note or your app can be at the other end of a hyperlink. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's amazing, right? And that when you want to update your app, you just push an update to your website because they're one and the same thing. So chasing after like, oh, we want to make it feel just like native, I get it. And especially again, from the marketing perspective, I can see how that's that's good. But yeah, the, like, the fact that it's combined with all the power of the web, particularly URLs, makes me think, wait, how can we build things that are only possible on the web that native couldn't possibly do. That's where it starts to get, you know, really interesting. Obviously, we're going to take our cue from native. We're going to we're going to observe what's worked on native because native's always been ahead. There's always been something ahead of the web, right? In the past it was CD-ROMs, then it was Flash, and now it's native. And those are really useful places to look and go, "Oh, we should have video or we should have animations or we should have this uh, API." But then 
once we get them, it's like, okay, how can we use these in a way that makes sense for the web rather than just trying to be just like a CD-ROM or just like Flash or just like native? Um, so I'm really interested to see once this technology beds down, how it will get used in a way that you know really uses the power of the web as well as all these cool APIs that are possible in the web and native. Yeah, for um, sure. I mean, I've always I've taken the view of service workers as um, I think of it as a UX feature, right? Absolutely. So, so yeah. when I'm working on uh, working on a website, um, and for me, it's you know I already have a, kind of a, a nice boilerplate service worker that does what I want. It's really easy to tell it what to pre-cache and all that kind of good stuff. I just uh, add it as a recipe to every site that I build, and I, I view it as uh, a UX enhancement. That yeah, completely. I think I think that's the right question to ask. Is not you know oh what technologies right. are available now with service workers, but you know how can we improve the user experience um, with service workers? And I, I've even run into the case where it's helped me out. Right, I, I've been in places where. Um, someone was asking me a, a technical question. It was something I knew I had written about in my blog, uh, but we had no internet connection where we were. Um, yeah, but, yeah. but I had opened up my website earlier on and I just navigated to the page and I found them the answer, you know? Although um, I've been caught out by that as well, where like, you know, you're getting on a Wi-Fi network at an mm -hmm. airport or something. And so yep. you open up some page to test whether it's working or not. Yep. And I open up my blog and I'm like, oh yeah, the Wi-Fi seems to be working because my page is working. Uh, yeah. And only then was no, wait, wait, wait. This could be the service worker. <laughs> well, I, I mean, actually have to, I have to deliberately find a site that I know doesn't have a service worker, right? In order to test, yeah. am I offline? Yeah, to make sure that it's actually working the way that it yeah. should be. But I, I think the important thing to talk about is, you know, our our audience is is largely web developers, a lot of craft CMS developers, as I know uh, that you kind of count yourself as one. Mm -hmm. um, but yep. I think the important thing is to approach this from the point of view of, okay, what benefits is this going to allow me to tell my clients that I can bring to them? Um, yes, although another option is you add it as a little bonus feature without even telling the client. Uh, so yeah. If you want to really impress them. <laughs> I've, I've, I used to do this with responsive design. Mm. Um, when I'm like, I, I, I could have the conversation about, oh, let's make sure it works on mobile. Or you know what? I'll just do it without without being asked and then it's this really nice um moment where you know you get the message that i was just in a meeting and i was on my phone and i checked the site and it looks great on, on mobile and they hadn't asked for it because you know this like eight years ago or whatever and you can do that with service workers too it's like if you want to do a fairly simple one like you were describing you got a boilerplate one that's right. just you know make sure that it's resilient to to offline situations you know drop that in you don't have to ask for permission and then it's this nice bonus where it's like oh i was on holiday and i checked the website and uh I didn't know it would work offline. Um, but yes, if you want to get deeper into the user experience stuff, then it's probably good to have a discussion with the client and discuss about what's right for this website. That's when you're getting into the like, you know, the fine grain of like, what's what's the right pattern for the kind of audience, the kind of content, right? Right. And, and tailor the service worker experience. Yeah, and if we're talking about a organization where there's a project manager, the project manager needs to be armed with justifications for the reason that, why they're doing this development or this work, or uh, as something that can set you apart from other developers who may not know about or may not do service yeah, workers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's it's pretty remarkable how easy it is to get a basic one of these things installed and then working. 
and then you can build upon it. And you can also look for use cases where for a particular client, it actually would be a huge boon uh, to be able to have one. So just as a, for instance, we're, I'm working on a, a project right now for a uh, seafront community down in Florida. And when you're down there during peak season, there are so many people on mobile devices there that it, it just mm. basically just doesn't work <laughs> or it will work while you're at the coffee shop. But as soon as you walk away, you're done. Right. Yeah. Again, perfect case for having a service worker where you'll at least be able to look at what you have decided is uh, important stuff or the patterns that most people are looking at when they're browsing the site. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you some other examples. Um, where we use craft at Clearly, because we don't do backend development generally, but mm -hmm. internally we we uh, we use craft on our own website, clearleft.com, but also we run conferences, mm -hmm. and those conference websites are, are powered by craft. So, a conference website is an interesting one, right? Because yep. you know they <laughs> they probably visited the site before going to the conference. Yep, chances are, right? And so you can pre-cache some stuff, or you just even make sure you've got a good custom offline page that says, "Hey, you're offline, but here's the." There, there's the really important information. Here's the conference the starts exactly. Here's the schedule. Yes. Conference starts this time. Here's the location. Um, just the, like what would the bare minimum be? Same if you if you were building a, a restaurant website, right? I mean, thinking about it, every restaurant website should just be the offline page. Right? It's just like right. here's the opening hours. Here's the address. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get over here. Um, but yeah, thinking through the situation, like oh yeah, so what's what's going to be useful in this situation yeah and if um, you make sure that your browser pre-caches the offline page right it doesn't matter yeah. if they have visited the other pages or um you know whatever you're providing them with the the core information that they want and you're yeah, right exactly. that at these conferences man you're lucky if anything works there <laughs> you, you know? go right yeah, yeah. The having a good internet connection at a conference can be you know a right. dodgy situation so yeah, uh, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, uh, and then on the other extreme, so all these examples are kind of enhancing with service workers, but generally you go into the network as a first resort. Mm -hmm. um, so I published a book online, Resilient Web Design. And in that situation, you visit the, the site, any page of the site, and it then proceeds to basically pre-cache the entire site. Okay. Now, that's pretty extreme, but the entire site is still you know, less size than one article on The Verge. Sure, right. right. Um, <laughs> and I am maybe being a bit presumptuous and thinking, well, they visited the front page. They're definitely going to want to read every every word I've written here. Right. But it's not going to take up too much space. And then so f then the service worker recipe from then on is never go to the network. Right. If you can avoid it. Like every request for a page, every request for an image, for anything, always, always, always go to the cache. Uh, and that's that's really extreme. Like that, but publishing a book. How do you online, update the site then? Well, this is the thing. I'm not gonna. Initially, <laughs> I had I had a different. I've I've updated the service worker. So initially, when I first published it, I made it so always, always, always go to the cache, and then in the background, grab a fresh version from the network, and replace or, or, the version in the cache. So the users then the always seeing. Or look for changes. I mean, you wouldn't have to grab an entire fresh version. You could just well, you grab see, looking for changes numbers. is tricky because then you kind of need to be able to examine the DOM again, right? We're getting to the the fact that it's this kind of separate mm. thing. Mm -hmm. But caching a fresh, uh, grabbing a fresh version, 
uh, is an interesting pattern where it's like, okay, I'm going to show the user the version from the cache, which may be out of date, but the most it's ever going to be out of date is is like minus one from mm-hmm. what from the current version. And now, meanwhile, I've I've got the page in front of them as fast as possible, so the performance is great. And then while they're looking at that page in the background, I'm fetching the fresh version and putting mm-hmm. that in the cache instead. Um, so that's an interesting pattern. And I did that for the book initially. And then every time I'd fix the typo, you know, people are going to get that fix um, as they browse around the site. And the next time they visit, they'll see the, the fixed version. But then after a while, you know, I could be pretty confident I've got all the typos. I'm never going to update this book again. And then I switch over to the pattern where it's just always go to the network. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry, always go to the cache, never go to the network. So you can you can adjust it. Um, which brings up an interesting question as well, because if I'm talking about updating the service worker, because I'm sure people listening have this question, if they've ever been involved with any kind of caching mm. at all, it's almost like it's one of the hardest problems in computer science. Right. <laughs> Invalidating the cache. Or just how do, if I update the service worker, is the user going to get the updated version? Because they've got the got a version already installed on their machine. Um, and for a while, Chrome had it so that the, the longest the service worker would would be sort of uh, downloaded without checking for a new version was 24 hours. And now they've since changed that to just any time you hit the website, it checks to see if there's a new version of the right. service worker and installs it. So they've definitely learned from the lessons of the past when it comes to invalidating you know, old things because that's the real nightmare scenario with, um, with this caching stuff is that you get stuck in some kind of infinite loop where I've updated stuff on the network, like the live site is up to date, but the user will never get these updates because right. some technical I'm 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 kind of skating around the the uh the historical issue of app cache. I, I hope No 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 let's not let's not okay good, not good, speak good. of it. Okay. Yeah let's not mention it. Oh, again. Okay. So the the browser makes sure that you're not running a service worker that's six months out of date. Correct. Exactly. So even if you on your website you've set you don't have for example to program that into your service worker the nope. no. browser fact, will do it for you. The browser may even be disobeying instructions you've set from your server because your server might say, "Oh well, I definitely want my JavaScript files to be cached a long time. So make give uh, all JavaScript files a really long cache lifetime, like years." Yep. And that would apply to the service worker. So even if you've done that, um, the browser is going to ignore that when it comes to service worker. Yeah, and Mary, I'm checking for a new version now. Yeah, and Mary, and the way that works is you, in order to uh, get a service worker working. Um, you have to write a little bit of JavaScript that basically just says register a service worker. And it's at that stage that the uh, browser will check to see if the service worker that is being registered is the same as the one that's already there. And if not, it will register and load the new one in. So you, you don't have to do any cache busting. You don't have to do any, you don't have to put any funky hash on the name of it. You don't have to do anything. It just takes uh-huh. care of it. Um, it magically does that for yeah. you. But getting back to something that you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Jeremy, is in terms of what it takes to be a uh, progressive web app, uh, anyone who's using Chrome, if you go to audits and then you perform a Lighthouse audit, mm. it, will, it will show you exactly uh, what you have done or have not done in terms of registering a service worker, that it's returning uh, a 200 status and that you have a web app dot manifest and all that kind of good stuff. So, and it, and it gives you a score, which is like catnip to me. Whenever there's something is 
gamified like that, I want to get the high score. Yeah, of course. You got to get the, so, you got to get to 100, right? I'm always like that with Lighthouse. I'm like, ah, oh, it's 98. How can yeah. I get it to 100? But that's a good way that, you know, for anyone, and I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely not trying to uh, promote my website here, but if for anyone who wants to see something like this, if you're not using service workers or uh, progressive uh, or a web app, um, you can just go to nystudio107.com, open the developer tools, go to audits, and then click uh, perform audit. Um, and if you go down to the mobile web app section, it will show you all of the things that it's checking for. Um, and then you can compare and contrast that to a site that doesn't have uh, a progressive web app uh, installed. Um, and so There's a couple of other tools out there as well. There's um, Sonarwall from um, Microsoft. Okay. Is it from Microsoft? Yeah, Microsoft. Um, that checks a whole bunch of stuff, and it's quite strict, I have to say. But again, it's the kind of thing you paste in the URL, and then it performs all these audits. Yeah. Well, the, the um, reason I mentioned uh, Lighthouse is I wonder, like, how long before being a progressive web app becomes a ranking signal for Google? Um, who cares? <laughs> well, I know, I know a bunch of marketers that would care people. an awful lot. Like yeah. if we from, uh, you know, nerd technologist point of view really want to get people on board using service workers because we love the benefits that they bring. One of the best ways to do that is to get the marketing department on board and wanting it. You know that is true. No, I see that. So, so it's about convincing the marketing department. But but I am very wary of everything all all being about you know what what does Google want? Uh, you know, totally understand. But it, it, Google. but it, but the thing is, if you're if you you know Google already uses speed as a ranking factor. Right. So chances are, if you're the kind of person who's got a service worker and a web app manifest and you switch, you know, all these things. Yep. You probably care about performance anyway. Right. There, so there isn't a direct. You know, it's not like every site with a service worker is automatically performant. But any site that has a service worker is probably built by somebody who cares about performance. Right. So in a roundabout way, it sort of is a ranking factor. I could see it becoming an actual ranking signal. Um, because if you think about it, the the badge that is showing up in Google Chrome for Android, mm -hmm. letting you know that, hey, this is... Uh, this has a progressive uh, web app on it. You can use this as an app. I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, that's a signal to the user, right? Yeah, I mean, and not just Google. You know, the, yes, it's right. true. They could present it differently in search results, maybe stick it in a carousel or something like that yep. um, to say, hey, these are all installable. But Bing, for instance, is um, as it crawls the web, same as any spider does, if it finds something that's a progressive web app and passes certain criteria, it's putting it, those into the um, the store, the App Store, uh, the Microsoft App Store, same as apps that you would have to install. It's, right. it's really gonna, you know treating them as equal citizens. Um, it's not quite the same as you know search as, you know being ranked differently. Right. Um, but maybe it's not going to be about ranking, but it's more going to be about um, the badging, how how it's displayed. And so, as someone looking at search results and the the top three results are plain old websites, but the fourth result is, you know, is glowing for, or however it's, 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 it's signified that this is a progressive web app. And, and maybe that's how we, we work on that perception that, you know, some websites can work offline and, yep. and it's almost like the human being applies the ranking factor, right? The user is the one doing the ranking in their head and say, Oh, I, right. I want to click on that fourth. Well, that, that's exactly why a performance site is now a ranking signal is because Google, yeah. Google says, Hey, 
people want a performance site. And, and if uh, progressive web apps are really offering people a better user experience, I could definitely see them saying, hey, people want a progressive web app. So maybe, maybe that'll happen. Um, so one other thing that for people who want to experiment, again, if you go to uh, nystudio107.com, then you click on the network tab, um, and then you check offline. Um, you can then browse around the site and you can see what happens uh, if mm -hmm. the, the site is offline. You know, just something that you can kind of check out and, and experiment with. Um, and that's another, that's another area we can start to ask user experience questions because now we have in the browser, you know, ways of knowing is there an internet connection or not. Right. And do you maybe want to display that on the page? Like, hey, just so you know, you're you're offline at the moment, you know, carry on reading or whatever, but just so you know, you're offline. Right. Or maybe if it's a page with forms that you disable the forms, or you hide the forms while the user's offline, for example, just, just some ideas. Right. Well, this has been fantastic. So, uh, Jeremy, so people who want to know more about service workers, where can they get your, your book going offline? They can get it from a bookapart.com. And I am someone, I gave you a book sale. I purchased this thing and it is, it really is well written, and and I I got to say my hats off to you that it is uh, entertaining to read as well as being informative, which I think is is fantastic. It, I I really appreciate hearing that because um, you know that that was actually the hard part. It wasn't a, wasn't so much the technology. It was like trying to make this friendly and approachable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That about wraps it up for another episode of the Devmo.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS feed or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at DevModeFM. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the DevMode.fm website. For the DevMode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Marian Nulifant. And Jeremy Keith. From Clear Left, thank you very much for coming on. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you. And I think we need to have you on again. That would be <laughs> great. I'd love to. Jeremy, that was fantastic, and I, I really do want to have you on again. I think, uh, yeah. And I'm sorry to kind of rush the ending there, but I've got two kids that are no, going to be. I, I also need to. Uh, I need to have my dinner. Well, they're going to be really <laughs> pissed off if I don't take them to the movie that I promised them that starts in oh, what about do you, what are you ten gonna go minutes. See? Ant Man and the Wasp. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs>